Go with me to the book of Proverbs once again, chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. We've been in a series together over the last several weeks, six weeks actually, and today's the seventh one. We're talking about guarding the heart. Now, that hit me kind of different last night and this morning. We've been talking about one thing for seven weeks at about an hour each time, sometimes a little more. I'm working on it. But that ought to tell you how much there is in the word of God that you could talk for seven hours about one thing and still not come to the end of it. That's how living his word is. That's how alive this thing is. And I know a lot of it we go back over, but that's because this is how mind renewal takes place. These are not things, this is not a one and done kind of thing where, okay, I heard that next. No, you got to keep hearing it and keep hearing it and keep hearing it. And may, yeah, maybe you were here last week, but maybe somebody else wasn't and they need to hear it. And maybe they hadn't been with us before. And, and we, we all need to hear these things again and again. And listen to how crucial this is. These things we're talking about in Proverbs chapter four. I'm going to look at it again from several translations. And I ask you today, use your faith with me. Don't just sit there. Don't just pass the time. Use your faith with me that in this message today, that we wouldn't just be hearing concepts. That's the last thing I want in a church is just, just to be some place where, where concepts get talked about for a little while. And then we fill up on some knowledge and then we head out of the room. I'm not satisfied with that. And I don't think you should be either. We should come into this place hungry, yes, for the word, but expecting to encounter God, Amen. expecting a manifestation of Jesus. And Jesus said we could have it. He said in John chapter 14, that if anybody loved him, they'd be loved by the father and that he would manifest himself to them. Now, whatever it is you're going through, tell me how it wouldn't be helped by a manifestation of Jesus. I don't care what it is. Is there something that you're dealing with that it's like, well, a manifestation of Jesus is good, but it doesn't fix this. Huh? No such thing exists. Jesus showing up, Jesus being real, Jesus being seen fixes it. Whatever it is, it fixes it. So I want you believing with me today for that. Expecting to see Jesus. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 20. Solomon's writing to his son, speaking to him and said, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your eyes. Notice these words. Keep them in. I want you to say that with me. Keep them in. Keep what in? My words. Keep my words in the midst of your heart. Now he goes on and says in verse 23 to keep. So there's that word again. And we've seen this week after week, studying other scriptures throughout the word of God. You see this word come up over and over. Keep it. And you see in uh, verse 23, he said, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. The New Living Translation shows you what the word keep means. He said, guard your heart. Do you see that up here? Guard your heart. Don't just guard it. Guard it above all else, above anything else. People guard valuable things. They don't guard junk. People don't invest in security systems for junk, for trash. But if it's valuable, if it's precious, you guard it. And here he said, guard your heart above all else. Why? For it determines, your heart determines the course of your life. You want to know how you ended up where you are right now? Your heart brought you here. Wherever you are in life, good, bad, or ugly, <laughs> your heart did it. Your heart brought you here. Wherever you're headed, guess what's going to take you there? Your heart and the condition of your heart. He said, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. The Young's literal translation said, above every charge, keep your heart. Above every charge, above everything I've told you, 
And I've told you a lot of important things, he would say. And you look through the book of Proverbs and you see one charge after another from father to son and wisdom coming out of the mouth of this father, trying to set his son up for success, trying to set him up for success financially. That's in the book of Proverbs, trying to set him up for success relationally. That's in the book of Proverbs, trying to set him up for success in his relationship with people, in his relationship and fellowship with God, trying to set him up for success. He gives him legal counsel. If you ever get into a legal situation, this is what you do. All of this is in the book of Proverbs, one charge after another. Now, I don't know if it was over Solomon's lifetime or in one afternoon. I've had some conversations with mom and dad like that. That seemed like a 31 chapter lecture, but whatever it was, it was charge after charge after charge. But notice what he said right here above every charge more than anything else. I've told you guard your heart, guard your heart. Why? Because if your heart's protected, you'll do the right thing with your finances. If your heart's in the right shape, you'll do the right thing relationally. If your heart has been kept, you'll know what to do. Should you get into any kind of legal situation, any kind of pressure situation? So guard your heart above everything else. Guard your heart. God's word translation says it like this. Guard your heart more than anything else because the source of your life flows from it. Now, here's what I've, since the Lord uh, encouraged me to impress on you today before we move on. I said this to you a number of weeks ago and for several weeks in a row. I said, you need a guard. You need a guard on your heart. And we're starting to learn what the function of a guard actually is. It's got two main functions. To keep out what doesn't belong in and to keep in what doesn't need to get out. And we've seen that over and over through scripture. The guard keeps out things that don't belong in. The guard also keeps things in. Did you notice he said, keep them in the midst of your heart? Keep my words in. And I told you several times, you need a guard. You need a guard. You need a guard. And that's right and it's true. But man, the Lord drove this home to me with emphasis yesterday. He said, Jeremy, you're the guard. And I think I know that and I think you know that, but maybe not well enough. You are the guard of your own heart. Nobody else, including God, can be the guard of your heart. You are. You're the guard. You and only you are the one who determines what gets in. You and only you are the one that determines what gets in front of your eyes and gets to stay there. Only you determine what gets to go in your ears over and over because every part connects to the heart. So whatever's getting in the eyes on a consistent basis, guess where it's headed to the heart. So don't sit there and watch trash on TV thinking it's just entertainment and it's not affecting me. And let me just encourage you once again with this. There is very, very, very little that this world has to offer by way of entertainment or information that has any business in your heart. Don't feed on that trash. It's headed for the heart. You're the guard. You're the guard. So when you take the day off and you leave the guard post, guess what? Whatever, whatever your enemy wants in is headed in and whatever needs to be retained and not let go, you're losing it. We talked some about this, about holding your peace. Peace is precious. Peace will serve as a guard over your heart if you let it. And I wanted to get into something and I'll just touch on it now. But if you go back to the Old Testament, you remember in the book of Exodus, God spoke to a man named Moses and he said, you go into Egypt and you get my people out of there. I won't go through the whole story. You know it. But he came in and he told them, the Lord God has heard your cry and he wants you out. Man, they rejoiced. They worshiped until they didn't get out, you know, by like Monday at five. And then they came back and all that worship was nowhere to be found. They're complaining. You've made it harder. What's your problem, dude? Leave us alone. And the Lord told Moses, no, I want my people out. Well, you know the story. He brought them out. Not subtly, I might add, not quietly. Man, he brought them out in a big way. 
And he delivered them miraculously, obviously. I mean, so supernaturally, the hand of God was at work and the power of God on full display. I mean, cranked up to 10. No secret that God is on these people's side. He brings them out and they're on the run and they come up to the Red Sea and then they turn around and Pharaoh's army is coming after them. And they start crying and whining and complaining again. Have you brought us out here to die? It'd have been better if we stayed. Let's go back. All this is coming out. And Moses speaks up standing there at that Red Sea. And this is a pressure situation. The heat is on, the pressure's on. We got two bad options. We could drown or we could die fighting these guys. Option A and option B, neither of them sound great. I mean, what do you choose, right? When you got two choices and they both end with you dead. How do you choose? But Moses said, listen, he said, be still, be still. The Amplified Bible adds this, remain at rest. He said, the Lord God's going to fight for you today. And then he added these words and you will hold your peace, hold your peace. You familiar with that expression? If there are any among us who see any reason that these two should not be married, let them speak now or hold your peace. Say something or keep your mouth shut. Speak now or the other option is if you're not going to talk, hold your peace. You notice how holding your peace is connected with not letting junk come out of your mouth. The talking, the whining, the complaining, guess where your peace is going? Bye peace. There goes my peace. You want to hold it? Keep your mouth shut. Unless you can say something in faith, then just keep your mouth shut. Speak now or shut up. <laughs> right? Is that too harsh? I apologize. Speak now or kindly close your mouth. There are things that don't belong in and things that you don't need to let out. You got to be a guard. So why don't you say it? I am the guard of my own heart. I decide what gets in. I decide what stays out. Now, listen, you might have to get a little bit indignant about this sometimes. You may have to be a little bit forceful. I'm not watching this. I'm not listening to this. I'm not feeding on this trash. You might have to draw a hard line for your family. When the kids are watching something and you walk through the room and it just agitates you on the inside, that's the spirit of God speaking up in you. Don't let this in. Don't let this in. Man, I used to watch a show as a teenager when especially when mom wasn't there. I could watch this and dad would come in and we both would think it was funny. And I kid you not, as soon as mom would walk in the room, they'd say something bad about God or something <laughs> making fun of the Bible. And me and dad both would be like, we got caught, we're busted. And man, it's kind of a running joke in our family, but mom didn't put up with this stuff. You shouldn't. Be more like my mom, come on. We shouldn't be putting up with this stuff, tolerating a world's agenda coming into our house. And if you do, if it's just on all the time and they're just preaching to you their position and their worldview, don't be shocked when your kids are confused. They get a lot more time away from you than they do with you. You have to capitalize on the time we have together and if you got to draw a line, draw a line. They'll thank you. Maybe not right now, but later on. I mean, I can attest to that. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that there were things I was not allowed to see. Things I was not allowed to go do. But everybody else is, I don't care. What's mom doing? What's dad doing? Drawing that line hard. I don't care if everybody else is in this house. Come on, I said in this house. There's different rules in the house of faith. There are different rules and none of that's in these notes. So the big reason that you and I are to guard our hearts is because this is the part of us that God communicates with. 
This is the part of you that is determining the course of your life. And there are so many people, I never hear God. I never hear God. I never hear the voice of God. Well, we talked about that, didn't we? Jesus said, the pure in heart see him. So if you're not seeing him and you're not hearing him, it's not because there's wax (laughs) built up in these things on the side of your head. Maybe there is or isn't, but that's not the reason you're not hearing God. It's a heart issue, right? This heart's got to be clear. My son, pay attention to my words. I know you got a bunch of other words and voices you could be listening to. Come on, pay attention to these because these are life. These are medicine. These are health. And that's the big reason we have to guard this heart and keep it clear. This is where God speaks to you. This is where you hear from him. This is how he communicates with you. And if for no other reason, that should be enough to put up that guard, to be the guard of your own heart. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I want to go back to the book of Matthew chapter 13. We've been looking at the, uh, this parable, the parable of the sower. You could call it the parable, uh, the parable of the seed. It's in Matthew 13. It's in Mark 4. It's in Luke chapter 8. And um, this is something Jesus said that is so powerful and so critical. I mean, he told this parable and his disciples came back and said, why are you preaching in parables? And he said, look, if you don't understand this, then how will you understand anything? There are master keys in what Jesus said in this parable. But you could refer to it as the parable of the seed or the sower. But honestly, you could say it's the parable of the ground. And what he talks about in this parable are different types of grounds. And I'll just go over it quickly again with you. Won't take time to read the whole thing again. But Jesus said a sower went out to sow, right? That's what sowers do. And get the picture here. And then I imagine in places it's still like this today. But in that time, particularly, a sower would sow. And this was not one seed in the hole at a time and move down the line and plant another and then plant. No, it was a scattering of seed. It was reaching into that bag and throwing that seed like this. And now we've got machinery that does that. But it's the same principle, a scattering of seed. And Jesus said a sower went out to sow, to scatter that seed. And he said it fell on different types of ground. You remember this? He said some of that seed fell on wayside ground and the birds came and devoured it. He said some of that seed fell on stony ground, that shallow earth with rock just beneath it. And he said it sprang up right away, but because it had no depth of earth, it didn't take root. The sun came up, the heat got turned up and it scorched it. He said immediately it withered away, right away. So we're 0 for 2. The seed's been sown twice so far. And how much has it produced? Not one thing. Nothing. Then he said some seed fell among thorns. And the thorns sprang up and it choked it and it became unfruitful. So 0 for 3. Now if you stop right there, and if you don't know anything about ground, you think it's just the responsibility of the seed to produce, then your thought is there might be something wrong with this seed. It's not working. It's not working. It's not working. I say that because that's what people all over the world right now in church are saying. It's not working. That is the motto of frustration, isn't it? It's not working. Why isn't this working? It's supposed to be working. And that's what frustration is. You have an expectation that's set up here. And then for some reason, reality is way down here. And it's that space between between what you expected to happen and what's actually happening that tries to breed frustration. It's not working. It's not working. It's not working. Why isn't it working? Why isn't it working? But the moment this seed fell on that fourth kind of ground that Jesus called good ground, he said it fell on good ground and it produced some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. And then the Bible says he cried. You know, Jesus is a preacher and, and loud sometimes. Makes me not feel too bad about getting a little loud myself. Jesus cried, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And everybody's going, I got ears. Everybody out there's got ears. They heard it, but very few heard it. They all saw him, but precious few saw him. Now, the moment that seed fell on good ground and it actually worked, what do you know? Nothing wrong with the seed. It's not the seed's fault. It's not the seed's problem. 
So then what do you have to do? Do you go back to the sower? Is it the sower's fault? No. So it's not a problem with the sower. It's not a problem with the seed. It must be a problem with the ground. The ground is the issue. So the disciples came to Jesus and said, explain this to us. And Jesus said, the sower sows the word. Luke's account says the word of God is the seed. Now I'm going to drive this home to you again. There's nothing wrong with the seed. It's not a seed problem. If something's not working, if something's not producing, I want, you to, I want this to be the first thought that comes to your mind and heart. Okay, nothing wrong with this seed. And you know it's not the sower's fault. Jesus is the sower. He's the one scattering seed. You know it ain't a problem with the sower. So if it's not a problem with the sower and it's not a problem with the seed, it's a problem with the ground. And these four types of ground describe every person in the world. Every person in the world fits in here somewhere. Every person in this church right now, this morning, fits in here somewhere. Because seed's being scattered. Do you know that? That's what I'm doing this morning. I'm just reaching in the bag and throwing it. And I'm not just talking to one person or two. Everybody. Those in the room, those watching, just scattering seed. Scattering seed, scattering seed. But if you go back to what Jesus said, it got sown four times and only worked once. Why? And remember, we're not accepting the answer that sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. We're not putting up with traditional religion that has no answers. Don't, don't be satisfied with that. Go back to the word and find out what it says. And Jesus said, these are those that heard the word on the wayside ground. That's that hard packed ground. He said, when it fell on wayside, it just sat there and the birds came and devoured it because it didn't get in. That's the problem with this ground. It didn't sink in. Jesus said, those are people who hear the word, but don't understand it. And we, we realized that what he was saying there was that's those who don't value it. Luke's account says it fell on wayside ground and it was trodden down. That's where people walk. That's where animals walk. You don't walk on what's valuable to you. You don't walk across precious things that you own. You don't leave them out on the floor and wipe your feet on them when you come in the house. If it's valuable to you, if it's precious to you, it's protected. And if it's protected, Satan can't come and steal it. But Satan can steal the word from anybody who hears it and has no idea what they've heard. Doesn't understand how valuable it is what they've heard. It's just like sitting there throwing seed at somebody's head. It's not sinking in. And like that ground that was so hard, when the heart is hard, it won't sink in. And that is most of the world. You could fit nearly the entire world in that category right there. People who have no value for the things of God. People who don't have time for him many of which don't even acknowledge his existence. And if they do, they don't really know of his goodness and they're not pursuing him in faith and expectation. They hear it and it just doesn't sink in. That's what Jesus said. They don't understand it. The value of it's not getting in and Satan comes and steals it. It's like they never heard it. But then he started talking about that stony ground and, and, progress is made. And this is where the group gets smaller. These are people who actually heard the word and then responded to it. Not just responded, but responded in, does anybody remember? Joy. Woo. Good word, preacher. And there were people out there. Amen in Jesus that day. Mm, good word. I like that. That's good. Preach that. Say that. Come on, somebody. Right? <laughs> Getting excited about the word. But Jesus said, there are those who receive it with joy, but if it's shallow, if they're shallow, it sprouts up right away. But when the heat gets turned up, when the pressure's on, when Satan comes with trouble, immediately they're offended. Immediately. So they were quick to believe, that's good, but they were also quick to quit. Immediately they got offended, which just means they disconnected, separated from it, said, I don't want anything to do with that. And it didn't produce anything. Shallow people 
are people who are easily offended. That's God's definition of shallow. God's definition of depth, deep people, are those who are rooted and grounded in love and will not be offended. Choose not to be offended, even when opportunity is right in front of them to be offended. And it would be so easy to be offended. Deep people are rooted and they don't care what's going on above the surface because those roots, remember we talked about this, planted by that river of living water. Even if it's hot up here, I'm tapped in underneath here to this unending flow, being watered by the river. That's deep people. So then we come to this uh, last kind of ground before the good ground. And Jesus talked about thorny ground. And he said in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, he said, now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. Mark's account adds these words, the, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things. He said, when they enter in, when they enter in, they choke the word and the word becomes unfruitful. These are the ones who heard the word among thorns. Now follow the progression. Everybody fits in here somewhere, but I don't believe it's equally divided. I don't believe that 25% of the population are, work, are wayside. 25% are stony ground. 25% are thorny ground. 25% are good ground. I don't think it's that at all. I mean, I couldn't possibly put numbers to it, but I would say that most of the world is wayside. Some are stony. But then you've got this sown among thorns. Follow the progression. You had those that didn't receive it at all, didn't respond to it at all, and they didn't believe. That's people who heard the word, but they didn't respond in faith, and they're not saved. But then you've got this other group, smaller. They did hear it. They did respond to it. But like we said, offense got in, so they disconnected from it. But then you've got this next group. And I believe each time it's getting smaller and smaller. What you have on this ground are people who heard the word and actually had some depth. People who allowed the word of God to get in their heart and take root and actually begin to sprout up. These are not unresponsive people. These are people who received it, received it with joy. These are not easily offended people. Even though opportunity came, they weren't offended. They stayed rooted. They stayed grounded. See, can you see why this group's getting smaller and smaller? When you're talking about the population of the planet, this is a relatively small group of people. And yet, the word's not producing. We got to pay so close attention today, folks, because this is where the church is confused. This is where people look at those who didn't receive, who didn't get what they were believing for. And other people look at it and say, how? Why? Here's somebody that, man, that they've been walking with God. This is somebody who responded to his word and, and actually gave God time to let him get grounded in him and grounded in his love. This is not an easily offended person. I've never heard this person say one bad thing about anybody else. And yet, and yet, this is where confusion gets in. Now, remember what the guard does? Keeps things out that belong out and keeps things in that are supposed to stay in. Jesus said, these are the ones that are sown among thorns. And he called, these are the things he called thorns. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. Now here's the key word. When these things entering in, something else got in something else. 
Now, this is what you don't know is going on in somebody's life. You can see the outward display of their love for God. You can see all that, but you don't know whether or not something else got in. Something else. The problem with the wayside, it didn't sink in. That's why it didn't produce. The problem with the stony ground is it didn't take root. The problem with the thorny ground is something else got in. Something else. I want to take you back in time to the book of Genesis. That's pretty early on, right? Look at Genesis chapter two with me. Something else got in. Now, Jesus said that the thorns choked out the good seeds. He said they choked out the good seeds and they become unfruitful. Now, this means that the potential to produce, listen, the potential to produce was right there. Or maybe even perhaps this seed had started, started to produce something. It had taken root. It had sprouted up. It had actually begun to produce, but it didn't yield a crop because something else got in, got in the ground and began to choke it, to choke it. Now, to choke, listen to this. To choke literally means to crowd, it means to drown, or it means to throng, or to suffocate. That's what the word choke means. It's the exact same word that was used to describe the crowd the day that Jesus came back over the other side of the lake, and when he got out, it said the multitude thronged him. Same word translated choke. They pressed in, to, in around him so tight that it was suffocating. He couldn't move. That's, the, that's the, the, the picture that this word paints. You remember when the, that woman with the issue of blood dug through that suffocating crowd just to get a hold of the hem of his garment. And that's why he said, who touched me? And they said, everybody did. They were all choking him, thronging him. That's this word. And he identified these thorns as uh, the cares of this world. Is it possible to get choked by anxiety? Cares? Could you be choked by the deceitfulness of riches? What about drowning in obsession for other things? What did he mean other things? Anything other than him. Being obsessed with it on your mind all the time. He said, when these things enter in, they choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Now watch this. Every one of these things, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust or the desire for other things, every one of them, listen to me, are a provision problem. Provision problem. Cares of this world. How does that show up? What am I going to do? Listen to these words. What am I going to do? How am I going to fix this? How am I going to pay for this? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Can you hear where the pressure is? I. What about the deceitfulness of riches? That lie that says, if you just had a little more, everything would be okay. Everything would be fine and you'd be happy with a little more. And then you get it and then what? Oh, but if you just had... A little more. So it manifests like this. How can I make a living? How can I get my hands on that? How can I get a little more and a little more and a little more? It's a provision problem. What about the lust or the desire for other things? What other things? I don't know. Maybe what he's got, what she's got. Ooh, mm, I want that. How can I get a hold of that? What do I have to do to get that? I need that. Oh, I'd be happy if I had that. I'd be content if I had that. It's a provision problem. Really, more specifically, it's not a provision problem. It's a provider problem. Jesus called these things thorns. Now, there's a couple of places in Scripture where thorns show up in a big way. In the book of Genesis, chapter 2, 
Uh, let's look at verse 8. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. We'll have this on the screen for you, I believe. But it says this, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. The Lord God planted a garden. Now, without going back through the whole Genesis account, you know what happened. God spoke. Here come words. This is how God does everything. Words. He created with words. He spoke into darkness and the light overcame it because of what was in the word. And day after day after day, word after word after word, it created. And check this out. It's still creating. Light is still expanding right now at 186,000 miles a second because he said, light be. It's still happening. It's still creating. Words did that. And you remember what happened? He got to the end of every day and he looked at it and he saw that it was good. And he saw that it was good. In day three, he saw that it was good. In four and five, he saw that it was good. Day six, he saw that it was good. Day seven, he saw that it was holy. Holy. He called it holy. Rest. That day of separation. Not just good. He called it holy. And he planted this garden. The Bible says he planted a garden eastward of Eden, eastward and in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, verse nine, what have we been talking about for weeks now? The ground. Out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. We just take this stuff for granted. God could have put any system in place to provide for us. He could have done anything. It could have fallen out of the sky. He could have had angels delivered it, deliver it. He could have done anything to put in motion a system of provision. What did he do? He put it in the ground. He put it in the ground. I know we're just like, yeah, duh, we get it. Trees, right? No, no, no. Go back to before any of that. He saw that this was going to be good. Let's do it this way. He put it in the ground. But notice this. He put in the ground and caused every tree to grow out that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. I meditated this for two weeks. These last two weeks going, Lord, what does that mean? Why did you say that? Why do I need to know it's pleasant for the sight? I get food you're providing. Man, it, it went off in me. I was sitting in the living room just a few days ago, and we've got a window that looks out, and we've got trees, a lot of trees out there, and the mountains in the distance. And I was like, Lord, what is it about these trees being pleasant to the sight? And I just happened to look out the window, and it hit me. Those trees aren't doing anything for me except being pretty. That's it. And that's all they were intended to do. Now, I get it. I know they're taking in carbon dioxide and spitting out oxygen. I get all that. But I'm not going and picking fruit off of every limb of every tree in the world. There's a lot of them that are out there to do one thing. Show you how big God is show you how wonderful he is. And he put it there. Yes, he put food there. Here's your provision, but here's your pleasure. I just want to bless you with these. And that's foreign to us because we've let other things in. This is what the Lord convicted me on this week. He said, you have let TV entertain you in a way my creation was supposed to. It's cheapened the whole thing. Do you know that you and I are supposed to be able to sit on a porch for hours and rest and say, look how good God is. And you're like, well, that sounds boring because you let something else in. Because I let something else in. He created so much of this for you to just look at. And the Bible talks about it. Everything, all the invisible attributes of him can be easily seen. If you just look at it. There's more to that. Wow. We need to be able to sit and look at it. 
And of course, he said the tree of life was in the middle of the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was in the middle of the garden. Look at verse 15. He said, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. I want this on the screen. Put this up there for me. Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden. I want you to read this next part with me. To tend and, and what? And what? Keep it. What do you know about keeping something? Even in perfection, man had a job. Even in an untouched, curseless environment, man had a job. He put him in the garden with the job to tend it. You look that up and it literally means to serve it. Even before the fall of man, we were called to serve. Serve it and, and keep it. Look the word up. You know what it means? Guard it. From what? Even in perfection, something else is trying to get in. Guard it. Now, we don't know how long. We read it in a few verses and it gives the impression that God finished on Saturday and by Wednesday, you know, Adam had blown this whole thing and ah. But you don't know that. You don't know how long he kept the guard up. You don't know how long he fellowshiped with God. You don't know how long he served it and served it well and guarded it and kept things out that didn't belong in and kept things in that didn't belong out. But one day, the guard came down and Satan came. Something else got in. And he started talking to Eve. And he said, what did God tell you about this? What did he say? What were his words? And she said, well, he said, don't eat it, don't touch it. And that day you're going to die. And Satan said, no, 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 no. Listen, I know he said that. Attend to these other words. He knows you're not going to die. He knows that in the day you eat of it, you'll be like him. The first lie ever told. What was the lie? You're not yet like him. They already were created in his image. Here's the lie. Here's another word. Something else is getting in. And you know the story. You know it because it's your story. It's my story. She ate of it, gave it to Adam. He ate of it and immediately shame set in. Something changed because something else got in. Because something got in the ground. Because the guard came down and something else got in. Immediately their eyes were opened. They saw that they were naked. They were un uncovered. The glory of God that had clothed them and there was no sense of guilt or shame. Immediately it set in on them. And you know this whole thing. Genesis, fast forward to chapter 3. And God comes looking for Adam. Comes looking for Eve. He calls to him. They were hiding because they were afraid. Adam began to blame Eve. Like I said, it's your story. <laughs> it's my story. Always looking for somewhere else to shift the blame. And he's blaming her. And God said, what about it? She starts blaming the serpent. God speaks to the serpent, tells him what's in his future. But he says to Adam in verse 17, Genesis chapter three, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, because you let something else in, You've eaten from the tree, which I commanded you saying you will not eat of it. Cursed the first time human ears ever heard that word, ever familiarized themselves with that concept. It had been nothing but blessing. God had been the provider. God put it in the ground. He told the ground to do it. Ground, produce for them. Ground, reproduce. Give them what they need. Ground, give them what they want to look at. Ground, give them what they need to feed on. But then he said, because you let something else in, cursed 
is the ground for your sake in toil. You want to know what this word means? Worrisome labor. Worrisome. Sound like cares? In toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Verse 18, both thorns and thistles it'll bring forth for you. What's a thorn? Never before. But because of the curse, do you notice this? The very first thing that showed up in fallen creation was a thorn. A thorn. In thorns and thistles, you'll, uh, it, it, the earth will bring forth for you. You will eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. Man, don't you know Adam just looked back at God and said, what sweat? This man had never sweat for anything. He'd never been his own provider. Grace had always provided. God put it in the ground, told the ground what to do. His job was never work for a living. His job was never sweated out, blood, sweat, and tears. His job was never to come to the end of a day and say, look what I've made. What was his job? Guard it. You had one job, man. Guard it. Guard the garden. Thorns. These thorns Jesus was talking about, they were present at our fall. Guess where else they showed up? Our redemption. They were there when we blew it. They were there the day the curse showed up and it became a provision problem. Now on, Adam, if you're going to eat, you're going to have to dig through these thorns. You're going to have to figure out a way to provide for yourself because this earth is just going to produce them. I was studying this one time years ago and I, I had the thought to call a friend of mine who'd ha had a landscaping business for years and years. And I got to thinking, where did these things come from? I don't know a lot about this, but I know people don't sow it. I know people aren't looking at their flower beds going, you know what would look really good right here? Thorns, thistles. We need some thorns and thistles right here. You can't, you couldn't buy seed if you wanted to sow thorns. I called this guy. I said, Tom, where do thorns come from, man? And he, he laughed. He said, Jeremy, you know what? I'm actually on a piece of property right now. He was at this point selling large ranches. And he said, I'm, I'm walking this piece of property and I'm actually walking over thorns right now. He, he looks around. He goes, man, I think the earth just does it. Do you see what, he's, what, what the Lord said to him? The earth will bring it forth. A few weeks ago, I was outside the house, just walking up the, the front steps of the house, and this tiny little weed growing there caught my eye. And this thing could not have been more than about three inches tall. And I thought, man, I need to pick that. And just walked on by it. <laughs> walked inside the house. I don't know. I saw it again over the next couple of days and I thought, man, I got to get that thing. And I kept coming up with whatever. Oh, man, maybe my clothes are too nice right now. We don't want to pick that. And I noticed little by little, it's growing. It's growing. It's growing. We ended up leaving town, Sarah and I and the kids. We were gone a week. I came home and this thing was about three feet tall. <laughs> two and a half, three feet tall. And I walked past it for days and, and finally it got on my nerves so much. I thought I've got to go out there and get those, get that thing. And it's a, I looked it up. You know what it was? A thistle. You got them in your yard. This thing grew up. Do you know how easy it would have been to pull that thing up the first day I saw it? But because I let it grow. Because I let it grow day after day after day in just a short amount of time. It required gloves and a shovel. I actually have a picture of it and meant to show it in church today. I totally forgot. But I'm sitting there holding it like it's an ocean fish or something. I mean, this thing is this big. We got to be quick to identify the thorns. The thorns were present when we fell. They also showed up in our redemption. 
The Bible says that when they took Jesus to the cross, there were soldiers mocking him. And they fashioned and twisted this crown of thorns. And they put it on his head. And you know that tells us they hit it. They drove it down into his head. And here these guys are thinking they're just mocking him. I'm looking back on it going, thank you. They had no idea what they were saying. They were redeeming you and me from the cares of this world. Those thoughts that pierce and become so distracting and so defeating. We need a guard. We need keep that from getting in. Those thorns don't belong in. The Bible says, and I'll be done here in just a second. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 in the Amplified Bible. We are fellow workmen, joint promoters, laborers together with God, with and for God. You are God's garden and vineyard and field under cultivation. Why don't you say it? I'm God's garden. There are things that belong in this garden and things that don't. There are things that this earth grows on its own. Worries, cares, deceitfulness of riches. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to fix it? How am I going to pay for it? Oh, if I had just a little more, if I had a little more, if I could make a little more, if I could make a little more. Oh, if I could just get my hands on that. Oh, I know I'd be good then. Oh, maybe just that. If I had that, I'd be good. I'd be okay. I'd be happy. That's a provider problem. All the pressure's on you. And you know, there is this thing built into man that wants to have worked for it. Right? Me, man. Me make fire. Uh, right? Look what I've accomplished. Look what I've done. And we gather up all the stuff we've made, the living we've made and the achievements we've made and the things we've done. And man, we fashion these things up and we, we, we the beautiful and we shine it up and wear it like our crown. And had no idea. You just put on your head a crown of thorns. And what's Jesus saying? Come on, let me trade you. Give me that crown. I'll crown you with loving kindness, tender mercies. Come on, give me that crown. Give it to me. Those cares don't belong in that heart. You were never created to carry those cares. Jesus said in the book of Luke, he, he said, be on your guard. These are the words he used. Be on your guard. Talking about the last days, the days we're in right now. Be on your guard, he said, unless you get caught up. And he started talking about carousing and drinking and partying and with the cares of this world. Whoa, where'd that come from? He said, be on your guard, lest your heart be overtaxed, overcharged, be weighed down, he said, with partying and drinking and carousing and the cares of the world. One of these things doesn't sound like the other, right? And yet they're having the same effect. Partying, drunkenness, right? putting something in you that doesn't go in you. Totally unrestrained living. Just, just uh, whatever the flesh wants, the flesh gets. And feeding on the cares of this world are the exact same thing. And it will do the same thing. It will weigh your heart down. And it was in that same chapter that Jesus said, men's hearts fail them. They can't hold this up. You were never built to carry care. Your job was to just guard, guard. You weren't built to make your living. I'm not telling you, you don't need a job. Listen, even in the middle of perfection, man had a job. If you don't have one, go get one. You've got a job, but you were not built to carry care. So what do we do? You've been carrying around, thorns got in. What do we do? Well, we got to be quick, right? Be quick to identify them. The second something comes out of your mouth, what am I going to do? Oh, wait a second. That's a thorn. Yeah. Now, when it comes out the first time, that's a little three-inch thistle. 
that takes all the power of your thumb and index finger to get it by the root. But the more you talk it, the more it grows and it grows and it grows. And in a very short amount of time, you are going to need gloves and a shovel and your daughter to take a picture of the weed you just pulled because it's going to take some work to get that sucker out. The more time that you allow those cares to stay in, the more they suffocate and choke the word. So when you see somebody, somebody who loves God, knows God, serves God, and yet didn't receive, you don't know what else got in. And that's not judgment because we've all done it. It is a word of warning. Don't let it in. Don't let it in. So here you identify, oh man, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to pay for it? How am I going to fix it? What do you do? Wait a second. No, hold on. Nope. I've been redeemed from this trash. I'm not putting this crown of thorns on my head. Jesus carried this crown for me. Those are not my cares. Jesus, I am casting all my care on you because you care for me. That's first Peter chapter five. Stand on your feet. I'm going to read this to you guys. Go ahead and begin to play. Help me here. Help me find a off button. Listen to this from first Peter chapter five, verse five says, likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to your elders. Yes. All of you be submissive to one another, be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. How do you do that? Verse seven, casting all your cares on him for he cares for you. That's humility. Do you know that you pacing the floor going, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do is actually pride because you are looking to you as your source. How am I going to fix it? How am I going to pay for it? What am I going to do about it? What am I? What am I? What am I? All the pressure, all the focus is on you. Listen to me. God's grace, the seed of his grace cannot grow in the same ground with your self-righteousness. That'll be a thorn that'll spring up and choke it, suffocate it. And all the nutrition that's supposed to be going to that word is actually feeding the thorns and the words becoming unfruitful. So how, how do we get these thorns by the root and get them out of our lives? Humility. Lord, I humble myself under your mighty hand. I cast all my care on you. I'm not carrying it. Pride carries the care. Humility casts the care. So I'm casting it on you. Jesus, I cast on you the care of my children. I cast on you the care of my finances. I cast on you the care of my body and the health of my body. I cast on you the care of my job. I cast on you the care. All the care is on you. Won't you do it right now? Lift up your hands. Close your eyes. You know. You know better than I do what else has gotten in. You know where the guard got down. You know. So just right now, start casting the care. Do it with your words. It takes words. You're going to have to fight this stuff with your words. Come on, do it, church. I cast all my care. Let's say it out loud. I cast all my care onto you, Lord Jesus, because you care for me. I'm not able to carry this care. You be my caretaker. You be my care carrier. I cast it onto you knowing that you care for me. You love me. You gave yourself for me. You took the crown of thorns. They pierced your head so that they wouldn't have to pierce mine. I receive my redemption. Redeemed from thorns. Redeemed from thistles. God's garden is clean. His garden is clear. My heart is clear. Help me, Holy Ghost, to grab these things by the roots. To not let the care in. Keep the care out. But keep the peace in. 
And I just thank Him and worship Him. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.